Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am so thrilled today to be joined by life coach and consultant Aneta Ardelian Kuzma, founder of the Ardelian Kuzma Group, LLC. Aneta's passion is helping her clients create transformational change. She's a former bank executive now working with high achieving professionals and entrepreneurs to create mindful leadership, increase focus and productivity, and deliver wellness programs to organizations. Aneta, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Corey, I'm so excited to be here with you and your audience. Oh, thank you. We are thrilled that you're here too. So excited because as I talked to you a little bit before we began to record, I have your book here. It's called Live the Width of Your Life, 365 Daily Meditations on Living with Purpose, Passion, and Peace. I want everyone to see it. And as I mentioned to you off camera, it's already become one of my favorite books (laughs) within just moments. It is so clever. So I would just want to first say books like this are written very often without the authenticity that you're bringing because you are really transparent in how you came to (laughs) this book. And before you come in and and share your story, I want to just say something that, that grabbed me about it. You said five years ago, I was the worst version of myself. At that point in my life, I had followed all the rules, had a beautiful family, multiple degrees, worked my way up the corporate ladder, and I was also exhausted and burned out. But you talk about you did everything right, basically, based on being programmed. Yeah. But something was not fulfilling and fulfilled in you. So share that experience and how it inspired the writing of this book. Mm. You know, as you read that, Corey, I actually almost got, I started to tear up a little bit Mm. because I remember writing it. I know I'm not alone because I have clients who experience the same thing. They come to me and say, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. I know that I have so many blessings and I should feel so grateful. And I do. And I almost feel guilty for saying that something is still not right. And I think I came to the conclusion and I asked myself, is this it? Is this really what I'm here on this planet, on this earth to do? And I think that's where the reflection, then the question started. And the reason I think I said I followed all the rules, those are society's rules, right? At least in this society, you know, with my upbringing, it felt like that's what you do. you you go to school, you get the grades, you find a job, you grow, you get promoted, you get the titles, you do these things that supposedly are what the definition of successes. But what I've discovered for myself and for many others is that we need to go inward, not externally, to identify what does success in a well-lived life mean for me. And I do believe that's really what we're starting to see, especially with folks. If we don't figure it out in our 20s, and I think a lot of young adults are struggling with this and asking themselves these questions now, I didn't ask myself those questions until my 40s. And so, you know, but I hopefully I still have a lot of runway left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you do, you do. And, you know, 
it made me think of something that's very funny, and I've shared this story once before on the show, which is that whole thing about being programmed by whether it be family or society that you are supposed to just you know, get a job and buy the house and have kids and you get the white picket fence and you retire and then you die. I mean, that's pretty much what we're programmed to the point where I was like in the second grade and the teacher asked us, I remember like, what do we want to be when we grow up? And they were like a a fireman, a cop, a ballerina. And I said, an undertaker. And my teacher was terrified about that (laughs) (laughs) because she's like, what? But I had an Uncle Paul who was an undertaker and, you know, Uncle Paul makes great money as an undertaker. I had no idea what it even meant. Right. And so I got older and I was like, wait, <laughs> I told the teacher I wanted to cut up cadavers basically for a living and bury people. So, but I was programmed that money was the only thing, not about, hey, Corey, what do you like? What do you have interest in that you think might be fulfilling? Right. And I think that's the difference in what you talk about in the book is, kind of understanding your why and knowing yeah. your why, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So when I wrote the book, I always wanted to write a book. And the reason I wrote it the way I wrote it, it is 365 days. What I discovered with my clients and with myself too is that people need bite-sized pieces of actions, right? Or things to process or reflect on every day. And so it's not a traditional uh, self-help book that's written in the chapters. Although I did get some publisher who told me I should write that kind of a book. But I think I know I have bookshelves full of self-help books that I consume and don't necessarily apply. And so for me, I said, what what's the book I want to read? And, and so I decided I want to write a book with different themes each month. So January through December is a different theme. January's dreaming again, new beginnings, all of that. So there's like a seasonal approach and every entry has a post and there is a lot of me, as you said, in it. So I am vulnerable and authentic, I think with my own experience. And then um, it every day ends with either a journal prompt or a reflection. And I have a friend who said, I've not used a journal since seventh grade, but this book made me pull out a journal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you do talk about that. The whole idea of the vision board, you know, it seems almost like a craft project for some people, but no, <laughs> there's a lot of successful CEOs I talk to or successful people in general. And however they did the physical vision board, a, a, a some sort of vision board is a common denominator with many of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a way to give clarity to things they really wanted. And unapologetically, like if you want a big mansion, then cut out a picture of a big mansion. That's like no one's judging you uh, for what you desire, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you said that because actually right here in my office in front of me, I have a little ledge and I have my vision board there and I do a different one every year. And I will tell you that once you decide what you want and you actually are able to create the images or if you write a vision and you look at it all the time, that's the beauty of it is that you're constantly gazing upon it. It does work. Suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, I do want to go to Tuscany or yes, I do want to write that book or I do want to spend more time with my friends and my family and make sure that I'm taking good care of myself. It's just a reminder and it's a a nudge to be intentional with the way that we choose to live. Oh gosh, that's a great word. And I, that's a wonderful one, you know, living with intention. Absolutely. Because you do talk a lot about the, the health aspect in the book, right? And when I read it at first, I couldn't tell. I said, well, does she mean mental health or physical health? And I just, then I realized, I just think you mean both. I mean, you mean 
mental wellness as well as are you taking care of yourself physically? So talk about the correlation there with how people are feeling that they may be more uh, fulfilled and less less frustrated in life if their health is in order? Yeah, such a great question. So um, I like to look at health through the lens of um, optimal health. And optimal health to me is mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. I believe that for too long, we've kind of compartmentalized ourselves or even compartmentalized what we think of in terms of health and having this integrated approach to who we are in our needs and not denying those is really important. So for optimal health, for all my clients, I always encourage them. And this is something that I do for myself is to focus in on mental health, you know, and for me, that's meditation and yoga and breath work and quiet time in nature, you know, the physical moving your body, allowing the energies to come through, which we need to do as well. Emotional, you know, being able to check in with yourself to say, what do I need to, to have emotional regularity? A lot of times it's because our nervous system is dysregulated. So coming back to being able to come into the parasympathetic and then there is a spiritual aspect, which is a different definition for everybody. And um, I do believe that for people, whether it's being in nature or you use the word God or you use something else, just this acknowledgement that there might be something bigger than just us and there might be a purpose to mm. our life and our choices does give many people comfort and which is a part of well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that clarity of just, you know, feeling like you're not part of just a constant hamster wheel of what those things we've mentioned, career, school, wife, husband, house, retirement, death. I mean, and that's why I love your title too, live the width of your life versus the length. And a previous guest I had on the show, maybe last year named Rob Shear, he had a very similar situation where he was talking with his son and he was look, or I think it was Rob Shear. I'm not sure. I have quite a, I've had quite a few guests, <laughs> but the guest was talking about their book and their son had made a reference to Dad, how are you going to fill the line or something like that? And his, he was like, what? You know, he didn't get it. And his son said, yeah, dad, it's a line. You know, you'd, there's a starting point when you, you're born and there's an end point when you die. So that's a line. So what are you doing in between the line before that? And your book title is so aligned with that. The length versus the width of your life. So expand a little bit about that notion. Yeah, it's a great question. So it comes from a Diane Ackerman quote. So I didn't come up with the longer quote myself, but it really did struck like such a chord in me. And so I've trademarked it um, because, yeah. And so what the width is, you know, we cannot control as much as we'd like to, how many days we are here. We do not know our expiration date. We do not know where that other dot ends, right? There's a dash. We don't know. However, we do know that today, in this moment, we are alive. We know that there's 24 hours in this day, the way we count it. And what we choose to do every single day that we are here is within our control. And that's the width is we could stay all day and not even be intentionally living. We could be in strife with ourselves. We could be you know, doing things that are not healthy for us. Or we can choose to live intentionally and with purpose and passion and peace, right? Which goes with the title of the book. And that is within our control. And I think that that's, for me, that gives me a great sense of comfort because there are many things that we try to control that we have no business trying to control because mm-hmm. we can't. 
But what we choose to do each day, the way we treat other people, the conversations we have, how we help one another, serve all of these things, that is within our control. And I believe that's the width of life. Yeah, that's amazing. And I just, when you said dash, I will clarify. Yes, that's what it was. His son said, Dad, what's your dash is what the quote was. Oh, I think there's a book called The Dash, actually, that I've been meaning to read. I wonder if that's tied to him. Yeah, because I think it might be because that was the author. I mean, you know, I should know this, um, but You've I do quite have a few episodes, Corey. I, mean, I have, yeah. I mean, it's like talk about 365 days a year. Yes. Every Monday, I have a different guest. So, yes. but it is what's your dash, and I, it probably is the same author. And it was a fascinating idea because his son said that to him, and it's like that dash in between the end point and start, uh, start point and end part. But you also talk about just sort of aligning your daily choices to your dreams and and goals, and I think. Um, that also brings us back to knowing your why and sort of like understanding what you want out of life versus what other people have told you you're supposed to get out of life. So share a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, too many of us, and I was there myself, I felt like it was Groundhog's Day every day. You wake up, you do what you're doing, you're on that hamster wheel, as you stated, you go to bed exhausted and you wake up, do the same thing again, unintentionally, right? Or it's just a program that we're running. And so what I've done for myself, and I do this with my clients too, is to say, what are your values? Let's start with what is the life you want to live? What are your, What's your North Star? What are the things that are most important to you? And be clear about those. And then take a look at your day, take a look at your week, take a look at your month, et cetera. How are you going to put activities and commit to yourself? Because too often we commit to others, we don't commit to ourselves, that you are going to focus on those things. And that could be going for a walk every day if that brings you tremendous joy. It could be having a date night with your partner if that's something that's important to you. It could be uninterrupted time listening to your child who wants your undivided attention. Whatever it is, it could be just sitting in meditation. But too often we fill things up with to-dos and activities and things that are suddenly maybe we're a part of someone else's agenda and not necessarily our own. And then we find ourselves depleted because too often we're depleted, not because we're doing too much, but not enough of the things that light us up. And so aligning your daily choices is it goes back to that intentionally living based on what's important to you. Now, of course, you know, work is important and all these other obligations that we have. But if you add enough of the other things that are really important first, one, you feel like you're placing value on yourself. And then two, you are more likely to do those things instead of saying, oh, I was too tired. I just didn't get to it. As I hear you talk about that, it makes me think about this whole new landscape we're in with remote working. And I just read an article, I'm not sure, one of the big, either like Business Insider or Forbes or something, about the the pushback of a lot of corporations to allow remote working. But then the other, the data-driven facts <laughs> that there's actually more productivity happening now mm-hmm. with people who are working remotely because there's this better work-life balance and they actually have time still to now, or more time, if you will, to see family, to be with family, you know, they, it, it takes some adjusting, but I find that to be a really interesting dynamic now that, yeah, you know, the old school way was like you were 12 hours a day many times, sometimes with away from your family. Right. And then your family gets to see you less. You get home, you get three hours, kids go to bed, you wake up and then do that all over again. I mean, that, I, that, that seemed like a construct that was just destined to implode. And sadly, I guess COVID was the catalyst, but in a way, 
I think it shifted thinking to a better, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to use the term better, but you know what I mean? It's sort of a, a better situation, I think, for us working. Yeah, it's uh, more integrated and people had more flexibility to maybe take their dog for a walk or to actually sit with their family and have lunch, even if it was just for 20 minutes. You know, these are new sort of freedoms and gifts that maybe we didn't have before. And I will tell you on the same hand, and this is why I think people are getting more work done, it is burning people out because what the other extreme is happening is because we do those things and have the flexibility, because I work with a lot of corporations and employees, they then feel obligated to always be on and to not disconnect. And so while we may have been in the office, we had the benefit of either a public commute or you're in your car and you could disconnect and you have that buffer between work and home. And now if we don't intentionally make time for that, it is really, really hard for people to feel like they can actually fully disconnect. So I say, do the things you're doing and make sure that you're giving yourself emotional and physical space so that you do find some moments to really disconnect at the end of the day. So true. Yeah, it's so true. I hadn't thought about the fact that there are many days where like, I'm not even out of bed yet, but I've, I'm already texting like and uh, sending an email. So so, so although I'm not commuting that hour and a half, I'm already working like at seven, <laughs> you know? So I think, yeah, that is to be considered. But yeah, I think that we are in a place where there's a, a better life work balance in many cases, but still what you also talk about in general is just making that dedicated time for self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something that I think is very underrated, I think, currently in our society, which leads to the burnout, people not disconnecting enough and taking time to talk a bit about the importance of developing those self-care routines. Yeah, it's so important. Um, And I always tell people the best self-care routines are the ones that you look forward to doing. So I always encourage people to have do something in the morning and in the evening, for sure. Start there. Start with your evening because we have a sleep epidemic. We have a rest and a sleep epidemic. Many people, millions, are not sleeping properly. And part of this is that we don't have a routine in the evenings. We are on devices too long. Where We have our devices in bed. We have them in the room. And the light is disrupting our sleep. So I always tell folks, you know, make sure that you get really good quality sleep. And the best way to do that is 60 to 90 minutes before you go to bed. Mimic what nature does. The sun goes down. The animals mm-hmm. start to hibernate, right? They <laughs> um, they go to sleep. And so we need to do something very similar. And, you know, it's returning to basics. It's like, well, what did we do when we were kids? We'd take a bath. We'd read a book. Our parents would read us something. We'd kind of sit quietly. Maybe there will be some gentle music in the room. It was really a wind down period where you tell your mind and your body, it's okay. Let's just start to like, let things go a little bit. And as adults, we can do the same thing. We can actually pull up a book instead of our device and read that for a few moments or do a body scan meditation. And then in the morning, you'll be more likely to wake up refreshed. And instead of grabbing our phone (laughs) as the first thing, Maybe before you open your eyes, you do a little bit of a gratitude practice that is something wonderful emotionally and mentally for you. Maybe you take go outside and within the first half hour, it's great to expose ourselves to sunlight. 
get some sun, tell our circadian rhythm it's time to wake up, we feel energized, you know, and then read from my book or any other book, right? Just give yourself a little inspiration and a little reflection. These don't have to be very time consuming. You don't have to do two hours at a time, but pick the activities that you look forward to where you're like, I can't wait to wake up and like read or do something that feels good. And maybe it's you know, listening to a podcast, maybe it's something else. It could be different for each of us, but it really is important going back to the optimal health to say, what can I do mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually for myself to fill myself up so that for the day you have exactly what you need for all the other things that you're already planning to do. Yeah. Kind of like clearing your plate and opening up your bandwidth, you know, to receive opportunities. Exactly. Yeah, one of the guests I've had on, Vishen Lakiani, who's like this amazing meditation, you know, guru. And one of the things he talked about was, of course, the importance of meditation as well, but also the fact that people tend to overthink it. You know, he was like, people think they have to sit Indian style with like their hands like in this position, you know, with candles burning. He was like, no, you can meditate anywhere. You just have to decide to be quiet and be still and to be contemplative in that environment. Yeah. So I think people overthink the process of meditation. What do you think? Yeah, they do. And I have a morning meditation group. So I do it six days a week. And um, we've been doing it since COVID. Actually, I started in March of 2020. And uh, we continue to meet every morning. And I facilitate. Many of us are uncomfortable sitting with our own thoughts, first of all, because we don't always like what we hear. That's part of it. Two, we tell ourselves the story that we are special and unique and our brains are the only ones that can't turn off. So we think that we're wired differently, which is not true. We all actually struggle when we first start meditating because the brain is very active. And then like Vishen said, I'm a huge fan of Mind Valley, so I love Vishen. Um, you know, find the things I tell clients is find a space that feels so good and comfortable where you're not going to be interrupted. Choose to sit for at least 12 minutes because from a benefit perspective, 12 minutes actually does give you a lot of benefits from a mindfulness perspective. And maybe you want to sit silently. Maybe you want music. Maybe you want a guided meditation. Maybe you just want to do breath work, you know, which is also a great way for people whose minds are overactive. But the point is to get ourselves back in our parasympathetic system out of the fight or flight or freeze And then also just to learn to train ourselves to let those thoughts go, acknowledge them and let them go, acknowledge them and let it go. The mind is not going to be quiet. It never is, you know, and while we're alive. So that's another misnomer. People think you could just sit and suddenly there's no thoughts. I haven't experienced that. There are moments (laughs) where I feel like I'm floating and definitely go to a different place. But, you know, a lot of times you just have to keep coming back. And that's where the power is, is when you choose to keep coming back to the breath and back to the present moment. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think in the book, there's a, a spot where you mention, and that same note, I think you said something about why a lot of people don't want to do that is because it's uncomfortable because you start to really think about things that need to be changed or that you need to do to rectify something. And then that is uncomfortable and you don't want to really face that. So it's, it's easier just to not sit there and, and, and do that work because you know you you have clarity of but that's the beauty of what you why you should do it I, I would yeah. think 
I know, right? That's the point, right? That's the whole purpose. There's so many answers and there's so much wisdom within if we allow ourselves to just sit, you know, and I always tell folks, have a journal nearby because inevitably you will get a thought. You will have a moment of brilliance. You will have creative inspiration. You will have release. I mean, so many beautiful things happen during meditation. And I tell everyone, just try. There's no downside. (laughs) And, you know, there's no downside. So just give it a chance and, you know, try whatever method works best for you. There's so many different options out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just recently, I began to realize that when I come home, sometimes I'll just turn the TV on just so there's noise in yeah. the background. And, um, you know, and I kind of got conscious that I was doing that. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not watching it, but it just, you know, I put it on in the background. And so a couple of times I've made the conscious decision not to do that and sit and be still and be quiet. And you're right, like all of a sudden, there are things that I'm thinking about that I need to do to bring myself forward, whether it be professionally or with people. I'm like, you know, I haven't spoken to so-and-so. I should call them. And I mean, you just really have a moment with yourself uninterrupted and it's very powerful, but it's also, I will say it is frightening (laughs) because, you know, you also start saying, I have to do some work on some stuff. Yeah. And, you know, start small, like acknowledge it. And I always say, get to curious, like just go, I'm I'm curious about why I have this thought, or I'm curious about what this means. And just leave it at that. You know, we don't always have to take action right away, just jot it down. And maybe there'll be even more clarity next time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about I guess the self doubt that we were just mentioning, where we are the ones sometimes who have the most doubtful voices, you know, how do you deal with sort of like limiting those fears or, I mean, shutting down those voices? Because let's face it, we have them coming from others as well as ourselves. So that's like a recipe for disaster. So how do we rise above that self-doubt and find the confidence? Mm, yeah, it's such a great question. I think we've probably all heard the stat that we have like fifty to 80,000 thoughts a day. And I think 80% of those are repeat and the majority of those are negative. So it's like, okay, this is crazy, right? We, we definitely have a lot of these thoughts all the time. So what's worked for me is I write every day. I journal. I do something called morning pages, which is an opportunity first thing in the morning to kind of get all my thoughts out of my head, anything. And it can be anything you do three pages longhand. And during that time, there's a lot of fears that come up. A lot of these limiting doubts come up. And anytime they do, I write them down. And then I go through an exercise and say, what if the complete opposite of these fears were true instead? What would that look like? And then I spend time journaling on that. And then I ask myself, am I willing to allow these fears to keep me stuck or to keep me procrastinating or keep me from, you know, living small, allowing me to live small, or do I want to take my chance on, you know, maybe the potential. And that's worked for me. And I actually love going back to it because anytime I do feel maybe some fears or some doubts come in, I can go back, you know, just do a search and and I I type everything in word, uh, do a search and say, have I had these thoughts before? And then say, and did any of them happen? the likelihood of any of our fears actually happening is pretty small if we go back in our life and think about all the things we worried about. So that's what's, that's what's been helpful for me is don't acknowledge it, say, thank you. Okay. Let me look into this and then apply a little bit of critical thinking and creativity. Say, what if it's, what if it doesn't happen? What if, 
it turns out even better than I could even imagine. Mm -hmm. And then you start to lift your energy and your spirits and it does change things around. Yes. That's such a great one because I remember, uh, I didn't come from a family that really took airplane, you know, trips anywhere. We did a lot of, you know, mostly car driving and, um, that might've been economical as well, as well as I just didn't have any, my family just did not fly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> out of fear. There's a lot of fear in flying so that was passed on to me, you mm-hmm. know? And as I begun, I became this 23 year old adventurous guy. My best friend at the time was like, Hey, let's go to Puerto Rico. I'm like, well, can we walk there? Because if not, <laughs> that's not on my agenda. And, um, I literally was, uh, uh, talked to, I had to talk to a therapist to figure out mm-hmm. how to get beyond a fear of flying. And one of the exercises was he sent me to Newark airport and this was a physical exercise. I want you to look at the board of flights and stay there for, you know, as long as you can before they throw mm-hmm. you out for like security or something. And uh, tell me how many crash <laughs> when you come home. Oh. And it was fascinating because I mean, there were like thousands and thousands and thousands of flights. And so I realized that fear I had was this sort of very, you know, minimal, like kind of repeat thing I was telling myself. But then I thought about the rewards of travel. And now when I get into an airplane and travel nine hours and step out in Brazil, and it's, you know, the reward of, wow, of the opposite of that kind of fear. And that's so when you were saying that, I equated it to my fear of flying and getting beyond that to have the rewards of travel and meeting people from other countries and experiencing life right. in general. Yeah. And when you allow yourself to move from the fears to imagining all the beautiful things that could happen instead, you're much more likely to not allow that fear to hold you back. Annetta, thank you so much. And I want to just point out to everyone too, again, the book, Live the Width of Your Life, unlike motivational, like, for example, there's desktop motivational calendars that I've gotten that have been really helpful, but I always feel like they expire because there's a date on them of like the year that I bought the calendar. And so at the end of the year, I feel like, well, it's over. I love the fact that this book does not operate like a calendar. It's 365 days. But I mean, you can read this like forever, every year, because yes. it's just about the day of the month is not about a calendar and it can be just restarted over and over again <laughs> every year, every year, every year. It's perfect. That's my, that was my intention. And I'm actually working right now on the journal to go with it. So you can get a new journal if you want every year to continue the work and then go back and even compare your transformation throughout the years. Oh, wow. Well, we will look out for that. I'm going to be one of the first ones to get it when it's available. I'll send so, you a copy. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'd be honored. Thank you so of much. Course. And I'm going to give a special shout out to, to Jason Rudman, who is um, a dear friend of mine who actually um, recommended you for the podcast. And we read about you and we were just like, yes, immediately. So thanks to Jason. And thank you, Annetta Ardelia and Kuzma for being here today on Motivational Mondays. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Corey. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.